Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, we're finally going to talk about the giant elephant in the room, which has been vexing people's minds for over a year and a half. I'm referring to the virus known as SARS-CoV-2 and its associated disease, COVID-19. To begin this episode, I'm going to offer some serious caveats and disclaimers. I am not a doctor. I am not a medical professional. I did not graduate from nor even attend medical school, and I will not make any recommendations that would guide any listener to any specific course of action regarding any medical decision. If you hear anything in this episode that you are inclined to take as a specific recommendation for a medical decision, reject it and think for yourself. I am, as I said, not a doctor and neither are most listeners. However, you and I can study, think, learn, and understand important things related to specific medical matters. The reason medical professionals are so extraordinary and so valuable is they have done such study for years on a vast variety of medically relevant topics. We lay people don't have their breadth of knowledge. But the intelligent quotient of a medical school student does not increase because their breadth of knowledge on certain topics increases, and our IQ does not diminish because we didn't study those particular topics. Any of us who has the capacity for learning and understanding can apply that intellect to a topic we choose to study, and we can therefore learn and understand things that may have relevance outside our own major courses of study. So, while you should reject any specific recommendations from laypeople, you need not necessarily reject observations of data and their meaning. In fact, you shouldn't. If those observations come from a place of understanding gained by thoughtful study. That means that even though you will get no recommendations here, Hopefully, you will get worthwhile information. The first thing to talk about regarding SARS-CoV-2 is its origin. It came from Wuhan, China. It originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Questions that many of us have pondered about that include these two. One, was it engineered or strictly naturally occurring? And two, was it accidentally released from the Wuhan lab or was it purposefully released? Now, the important response to both of those questions is we do not know either answer with certainty. We may speculate logically, but we cannot claim to credibly know the answer to those two questions. So let's speculate logically, reminding listeners that this speculation is not knowledge, is not claimed as such. Regarding the nature of the virus, we have enough observations about it to be concerned that it may not be strictly natural. The main thing this virus has shown us that gives logical weight to that suspicion is that as it mutates, it becomes stronger and more capable of spreading rapidly. Typically, mutations in nature yield weakness rather than increased strength. Regarding the release from the Wuhan lab, I'm not aware of any evidence that it was deliberately released as a bioweapon. I have assumed from the start that its release was accidental. I am open to information on this matter, of course. But one thing that was absolutely, observably, deliberate and nefarious, the Chinese Communist government absolutely, positively lied to the World Health Organization, 
telling them that SARS-CoV-2 couldn't transmit between humans. They knew that was false, and their lies prompted the World Health Organization to spread that catastrophically dangerous information to the world. The Chinese Communist government is to blame for the pandemic's scope. Will they ever pay the price for it? Not with Joe Biden, who is in league with those enemies of the United States and the world at large. Next, I want to talk about the data about cases and deaths attributed to COVID-19. Various departments of public health throughout the United States and their equivalent agencies in most of the world have been diligent since the beginning of this situation to publish regularly the numbers of reported cases and the numbers of deaths attributed to COVID-19. Some other organizations have also diligently consolidated all those numbers and posted them online with frequent updates. I started studying those numbers last spring and have done so since. I am a scientist and an engineer, so data is something that communicates to me. Remember, though, I am not a medical scientist. The first obvious thing about the data over time is that there are peaks and troughs in both the reported cases and the attributed deaths. The peaks have been referred to as crests of waves for ease of understanding, and I take encouragement from the fact that every wave has a crest or a peak and then rapidly diminishes. There's another factor about the data that was obvious to me early on, but still seems either not obvious to the media or ignored by them. That factor is that the parameter being called cases does not, in fact, refer to actual cases. Instead, it refers to positive test results. There is no direct correlation between positive test results and instances of persons being ill, and certainly no direct correlation to persons being hospitalized. And that's very important. And it's a shame that cases is still being used as an important metric when it is referring to meaningless test results rather than important things like illness and hospitalization. The hospitalizations are obviously of critical importance and should have been the metric reported all along. Some people may have forgotten that the only reason any restrictions or lockdown actions were imposed was to, quote, flatten the curve, unquote. What that meant was that we understood this highly transmissible airborne virus was going to infect most people and would cause some fraction of those infected people to feel ill. And some fraction of those would need medical care and some fraction of those would need to be admitted to hospitals as inpatients and some fraction of those would need intensive care, which is in most limited supply. We needed to avoid having those needs for inpatient and ICU care happening all at once. So flattening the curve referred to slowing the spread enough that hospital resources could handle the needs over time. We succeeded at that very quickly, actually, according to the published data. But we didn't declare victory by ending all the restrictions. I mentioned that some of the most important data was not positive tests, misrepresented as cases, but actual hospitalizations and ICU admissions. But of course, the very most important data was and is the number of deaths attributed to COVID-19. And unfortunately, those data have been at least misunderstood, if not purposefully misrepresented. Now that last sentence I uttered is shocking, and I don't say it lightly. Neither do I say it to lessen the tragedy of the numerous losses we've suffered around the world. But truth is always vital, and understanding the data is beneficial, even if it cannot be comforting. 
Deaths, by any causes, are sad losses we all experience in this broken world. The ultimate cure is only found in the salvation into eternity in the presence of the Lord. Back to that data on the numbers of deaths attributed to COVID-19. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, has researched and documented and published information throughout this situation related to all the causes of death listed on death certificates. Quoting now from one sample of the summary data the CDC has provided on that. Quote, The number of deaths that mention one or more conditions is shown for all deaths involving COVID-19 and by age groups. For over 5% of these deaths, and I'll parenthetically add that that means the deaths involving COVID-19 at all, COVID-19 was the only cause mentioned on the death certificate. Unquote. Now that means, listeners, that for nearly 95% of all the deaths attributed to COVID-19, those deaths were actually caused by other factors called comorbidities. Continuing the CDC quote, for deaths with conditions or causes in addition to COVID-19, on average, there were 4.0 additional conditions or causes per death. Now, I hope you understand that earth-shattering data. I first became aware of it in August of 2020, but I have since looked at the CDC data as it's been updated. In August of 2020, the percentage of deaths attributed to COVID-19 that were actually caused only by COVID-19 was 6%. By the end of 2020, it had dropped to 5.4%, and as of a few weeks ago, in late July 2021, it is at 5.5%, meaning 94.5% of all deaths attributed to COVID-19 are actually caused by an average of four other factors, not COVID-19. But even that smaller percentage, 5.5% of deaths attributed to COVID-19 in 2020, that's far fewer deaths than were attributed to the bad flu season in 2018, for example. Well, that can't be, can it? I mean, nowhere, no one ever contemplated taking extreme emergency measures and endlessly perpetuating them over a bad flu season. And by the way, listeners, this is not a comparison of the severity of the illness or symptoms experienced by those different diseases. This is a review of data. COVID is not the flu. COVID is not the flu. COVID is not the flu. Now, if it were true as the CDC reported that the vast, vast majority of deaths attributed to COVID-19 were also attributed on the death certificates to other things that would have caused the person to die, then I wondered, how did the overall death toll in 2020 in the United States compare to prior years? We would have all assumed that the death toll in 2020 was the highest ever. But if the CDC data were correct, maybe that was not the actual result for 2020. Well, data for 2020 has been published now. We're in September of 2021, so I reviewed it. And I also found data since 1951 showing that the total number of deaths in America has been normalized for population changes over time and reveals this. Over these past 70 years, the average annual death rate in America has been 8,977 Americans dead per million. I've also seen that reported 
on another data source as 8,944. I can't verify which of those two numbers it actually is. It's one or the other, or somewhere in between. Consider that approximate. And in 2020, the number of deaths was down to 8,880 Americans per million. So if you didn't catch that, 2020 saw fewer deaths in the United States per the population of the United States than the average over the past 70 years. Now, it is true that for the past few years, we have been on an upswing, increasing the uh, relative number of deaths. But the rate of change in 2020 over its preceding year was exactly the same rate of change as the prior year. That means 2020 was a less deadly year in America than average years, and it was not because we did it right with the protocols and the restrictions. Which leads me to the next topic, protocols and restrictions. Now, when this virus left China and started traveling around the world, and then when we in the United States realized it represented a new airborne concern, I had hoped, just as Joe Schmo layperson that I am, that some common sense protocols would be reintroduced in the consciousness of the populace. That would have looked like this from my simplistic point of view. If a person is feverish, coughing, sneezing, then that person should probably refrain from closely congregating with others. But common sense would not set the course of action we followed. Rather than encourage ill persons to have some courtesy, we convinced most people that everyone should be feared as a potential infector. Now, I use the word fear, and that is a key word in this entire episode. Earlier, I talked about the comorbidities that lead to deaths. Among all the comorbidities, I consider fear the worst of them. Indeed, the director of the CDC warned people last summer suicides could outpace COVID deaths. At the same time, doctors at the John Muir Medical Center in California alerted people, for example, that suicides actually were outpacing COVID deaths and that they had seen more suicides in less than a month than they had seen in an entire year ever before. Now, whether the Chinese Communist government released SARS-CoV-2 as a bioweapon or not, the fear mongers worldwide have absolutely used fear as a weapon. And what is the gain of using fear as a weapon? Well, observably and obviously, they convince people to do things rational people would not do for more than a couple of weeks in what would be considered an emergency exception to normal behavior. Now, some of those things have persisted and I would say metastasized as ongoing and growing mandates. The obvious examples are masks and shots. Just a quick few observations about the masks and then we'll dive into the shots. Masks have many functions and purposes and uses and benefits for certain specific applications. However, the, the vast majority of the masks in common use in America these past many months are being misused to no benefit. Consider the surgical mask. That is a great, inexpensive, but valuable little thing. It is designed for a specific purpose and it serves well in that specific purpose. The surgical mask is designed only for sterile environments to protect others from the bacteria exhaled by the wearer. In a sterile surgery room where a patient is typically cut open by the surgeon, 
Protecting that patient from those bacteria is obviously vital, and the surgical masks work well for that. They do not have application against a virus, nor in non-sterile environments. Or consider the cloth mask. Everyone should know by now that those are only for show, and they provide no protection whatsoever against any virus. Now we get to the shots. Obviously, there's more to observe about this part of the topic than we could possibly cover, so I'll try to stay focused on a few key points. First, how is it possible that such shots for vaccination against the virus SARS-CoV-2 and its associated disease COVID-19 could be pursued at all? This is a very important point, and it's one we all knew last year, but many people seem to have forgotten they ever knew it. The only reason pursuit of these shots was ever considered possible was the observation early in the outbreak that persons who had been infected by SARS-CoV-2 did generate antibodies to protect against COVID-19. The antibodies are the protection that truly represent immunization, or you could call that vaccination or even inoculation. And by the way, the CDC says all three of those terms, immunization, vaccination, and inoculation, are interchangeable in context and that to be vaccinated or immunized or inoculated means that you have protection, in this case antibodies, against a disease. And that such protection does not have to come from a shot. That's also very, very important, and it should be obvious to everyone. It means that being actually infected with SARS-CoV-2 is absolutely being vaccinated because it produces the protection against COVID-19. That means if you're COVID recovered, you had it, you are vaccinated. You didn't have to take a shot to get there. Now, the only function of the shots is to synthetically prompt the same immune response without having the individual go through the actual infection, SARS-CoV-2. Obviously, there's good reason to not want everybody to have to go through actual infection by SARS-CoV-2 because for some small percentage of the people who do, it kills them. That's a risk people don't want to take. The vaccine shots are very, very important, but they are not the only way to get immunized. The natural way does, logically, and as proven by scientific study, provide the best protection compared to any of the shots, but that is not a recommendation to pursue the natural way. Some people have good health and strong immune systems and may choose that natural course, while others may choose the shots to lower those risks of infection while necessarily taking on certain other unknown risks. One size does not fit all. And I say that again, that's the punchline. One size does not fit all. It is great that we have options. I'm very thankful that the medical geniuses were able to develop the vaccine shots, and I hope that they're beneficial to many people. But one size does not fit all. The natural way also has another benefit, which is durability or longevity of immune protection, which again is defined as vaccination with or without the shots. Now, how long does immunization by COVID recovery last? Well, no one knows because we've only had about 18 months of direct observations. But you may recall that Italy had a particularly bad spring of 2020. They wanted to know, in summer of 2021, how long the naturally obtained immunity lasts. So they did a study of 1,579 persons who had had COVID and recovered. 
they found that after all this time, those persons still had greater than 99.9% protection. That is far, far greater than the shots can hope to deliver even for a short time. But again, the risks and the rewards must be balanced for each person, and I do not recommend any particular course of action for anyone other than myself. But the fact that is absolutely proven beyond dispute is that one size cannot fit all. And that is why mandates are absolutely evil. And yes, that's the word I do mean to use. They have nothing at all to do with public health and safety. Those pushing for mandates know this, and they are deliberately lying. Why? I can only guess, and that would derail the episode. So instead, let's hearken back to the protocols and consider how far astray those have gone in light of these provable scientific observations about antibodies and immunity. Some of the protocols for entry into public spaces have lost focus on the goals of health and safety. Yes, I did intend to say that. Some of the protocols for entry into public spaces have lost focus on the goals of health and safety. I intended to say that, and I intend to prove it. If any such entry protocol had any interest in health and safety, it would have restrictions against admitting actively and obviously ill persons. You remember the quick temperature checks, forehead scans? That was about keeping feverish people out of close crowds. But those were abandoned for a ridiculous focus on only a singular way that all must by mandate follow, namely, show me your vax card. If any entry protocol cared about health and safety, it might focus on whether entrants are protected by antibodies, true immunity, true vaccination. But many protocols care nothing about that and only about the shots. Why? Are they making money from that? I don't know. Are they simply demanding obedience to an unhelpfully narrow, specific step? I don't know. Seems like it. Either way, it should be considered not merely foolish, but nefarious, because they have to know better. How about an example of how such protocols don't care about health and safety? In California schools, they have a protocol that focuses only on the shots. And we can observe the results. A teacher who was actively ill went into her class because in spite of being sick, she met the only criterion, which is she'd taken the shots. Predictably, that sick teacher infected every single one of her mask-wearing students. Did they change their obviously worthless protocols? Of course not. Obey, they say. They care nothing about health. Most of them won't admit that fact, that they don't care about health, but they do care about obedience. But I recently had an online discussion in which I noted that antibodies are the sought-after goal of the shots and that antibodies can be obtained without the shots, with obvious risks. A person I don't know who was part of the discussion replied to me, quote, I don't care about antibodies, unquote, and he went on to demand, just take the shots. So there you have it. Obey. Health means nothing. The end goal means nothing. Obey. Now, there's been such a, an overblown and ridiculous push for take the shots or else, that even though the media now can't suppress all the data that proves that natural immunization, natural vaccination does provide, in fact, 
the most potent, most powerful, most effective, and most durable long-lasting protection compared to the shots, that they're trying to come up with other ways to convince people to take the shots anyway, even if they're already protected to the max. And to that end, here's how ridiculous that push has gotten. National Public Radio actually put a headline out that said, in effect, while it is true that naturally obtained immunity is the best, if you who are COVID recovered will also take the shots on top of that, you can get, and I'm not making this up, they use this actual word, listeners, you can get superhuman immunity. Now that's crazy, and that's NPR, and shame on them. But shame on every news outlet trying to convince people, take the shots, even if you've already got the result of the shots, the immunization, the antibodies. Shame on all of them. This irrational and almost hysterical push for shots or else is bewildering to me. It even includes the concerted effort to convince people that the disease is untreatable. It is true, of course, that like other disease caused by a coronavirus, namely the common cold, there is no definite cure for COVID-19. But the symptoms of COVID-19 can certainly be treated. Such treatments can avoid the need for inpatient care or the need for ICU or the need for ventilation or the worst of all outcomes. They don't always prevent it, but they can help. Now, why have these treatments not only not been discussed all the time, as they should be, but have actually been forbidden to be discussed? The most evil of all the tech giant censorship is probably their deletion of all medical experts, in fact, actual doctors treating actual patients, that openly discuss their observations and data about treating their patients. If this censorship weren't so harmful, it would have to be obviously humorous. Consider the treatment that also happens to have veterinary use. I don't even need to name that medicine. It's all over the news, but only to be ridiculed. Those who want to demand people believe there is no possible treatment for any symptom mock anyone who suggests that this particular prescription medication can be used by saying, well, that's for animals. They ignore the fact that it's also for humans and that the medical geniuses who discovered that fact were awarded the Nobel Prize for doing so. They also ignore the rather hilarious fact that the chairman and CEO of one of the shot-making companies is a doctor of veterinary medicine. Life is funny. Well, this topic could generate much more talk, and it has. But as I conclude, I want to reiterate that I make no specific recommendations to anyone about personal medical decisions. And I want to make clear that we all have potential common ground on the issues related to the outbreak. We all, or at least most of us, want people to be well, to be healthy. So I would encourage us to seek the unity that is inherent to that common hope. And I also encourage diligent and faithful prayer that God will bring us through this episode as only he can. Have a blessed day. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.